That's the music that brought me from the provinces of England to the world and finally to America, New York, and uh, I'll never forget it. I mean, that's what made me what I am, whatever it is I am. My version of Gene Vincent's Bebopalula, one of the first songs I ever sang, and uh, the first day I sang it in public with a real band is the day I met Paul. It's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night, I should be sleeping like a love. They've been saying rock will die or it'll never last ever since I ever heard about it and it's always written in the papers as it's dying, it's this, it's that. And uh, people are so busy writing about it, they're not listening to it. Welcome to this edition of The Rock Podcast. I'm Denny Somak, along with my co-host, Anita Gevinson. And this is the beginning of season two. And on this episode, we have a classic interview with John Lennon. And this is how it originated. It's an interesting story. In 1975, uh, John Lennon walked into a New York radio station unannounced and played DJ, world premiering his brand new album at the time, which was the rock and roll album. He talks about uh, the early days of rock, his influences, Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino, and the first day he met Paul McCartney. That's a, it's a cool story. Candid, off the cuff, this is one of the most revealing conversations with Lennon. The interviewer is the legendary New York City disc jockey, Scott Muni. More about Scott in a minute. Hi, Anita. Hey, Denny. Well, you know, every December you can't help along with the holidays and all the cheer and joy, of course, but you can't help but think about uh, December of 1980 and the pain that we all felt when John Lennon was killed. And that pain just comes roaring back every year. And ironically, as everybody knows, that was following the story then about John in New York City and that love affair, he was very accessible and vulnerable in New York City. And that's one of the reasons he loved living there. You know, he and Yoko walked in Central Park and 1980 was a really good year for John and Yoko. But if you go back to December 1st, 1970, a decade earlier, uh, that was the release date of John's first solo project with the Plastic Ono Band, which I don't know about you, but I just think that's one of the greatest albums ever. I mean, when you think about uh, everything from the cover, how they switched up on the cover, which I didn't even realize till years later that one one of them is John laying in Yoko's lap against the tree and the other is Yoko laying in John's go. Yeah. Go run and find your album cover right now and see which one you have. And uh, they never even said anything about it, which made it really cool. But the songs mother, I found out, come on. I found out is like, 
I mean, it's poetry. Isolation, which, you know, in these days is, so, you know, love, which I'm sure has been played at many weddings. Um, working class hero and God. When he, when he put out God, I don't believe in Beatles. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was really something, right? Well, that was co-produced by Phil Spector. And, uh, you know, he would, of course, implode during the sessions of rock and roll. Yeah. But uh, looking at how John got into the studio uh, to do rock and roll and, and what happened in 1972, uh, John and Yoko were together living in New York. They were invited to a party. And this is on the night of uh, Nixon's reelection. Right. And John was obviously upset and he overindulged and right in front of everybody at the party, uh, he approached a girl and he took her into another room and they started having sex, loud sex while this party was going on. And I don't know whether it was uh, Bob Gruen, the photographer, but somebody put a Dylan album on and turned it up really loudly to try to yeah. muffle the sounds that were coming from the other room as Yoko just stood there, you know, I mean, come on, how would you, you know, you can picture what she was thinking. Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, that was the only time supposedly that John had a, a lapse right. of monogamy, but it was enough for Yoko. And she just suggested at that point that perhaps you know, they take a break. She suggested he goes to Los Angeles and uh, May Pang right. in a quote unquote assistant role goes with him because I know Yoko being very involved in that area knew that, you know, at least she would like to know who he's sleeping with. And they go out there and uh, they had decided they were going to see other people. But John hadn't been on his own since he was 20 years old. So you can imagine when he gets yeah. out to L.A. He didn't know how to book uh, an airline ticket, a hotel. Nothing. nothing. That's why he took, right. That's why he took Maypang. So he gets out there and he's like a kid in a candy store. And he's partying hard with Harry Nilsson and Keith Moon. And it's really amazing he didn't die then. You know, this was that long weekend that went on and yeah. on. And it was during that time uh, that he started to record rock and roll. And I, I know we're both big fans of a good cover of a great song. Right. And uh, David Bowie released pinups in 1973 to mixed reviews, but I loved it. So I don't know if that had anything to do with John deciding to do a cover of his favorites, his influences, but uh, he brought Phil Spector in. And in 1973 in LA's A&M studios, he started recording. Yeah. But Phil Spector shows up and he's like crazier every day. Yep. He shows up and one day he's wearing a surgeon's outfit, right. dressed like a surgeon. Next day, he brings a gun to the studio yeah. and he fires into the ceiling. And John said, look, if you're going to kill me, kill me, but don't mess with my ears because I need them. <laughs> 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 so uh, he you know, he spills a bottle of whiskey on the console at A&M. And then every night he secretly removes the master tapes and takes them home with him. Right. And then he disappears. Right. Nobody knows where he is. And then he gets into a car accident and now Phil Spector's in a coma. Right. So John's like, okay, uh, I'll make another, I'll make a new record. So then he starts recording walls and bridges. And now it's 1974 and he cleans up. And uh, he goes back to R&R, &R, rock and roll. Right. And now he's acting as producer. Now they're back in New York. Right. And uh, he, he's getting sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah. For that one line and come together on Abbey Road, the right. Chuck Berry song called You Can't Catch Me with the lyric Here Come Old Flat Top. Right. 
And Morris Levy, who owned the rights to the song, thought that he was due some money. So he decided that he would make John put some of the songs that he owned on walls and bridges. Right. So he puts on Lee Dorsey's Ya Ya. They settle out of court. They reach an agreement. And the other two songs were Can't Catch Me and Angel Baby. So then Levy says, go up to my farm in upstate New York and you can record your album. And uh, he gives Levy the rough mixes of the session. And Levy turns around and makes his own album and puts it out. And he calls it (laughs) John Lennon Sings the Greatest Rock and Roll Hits. And then he sues John for $42 million of breach of contract. Right. Right. <laughs> so in the end, he only gets about seven grand. John got about 150 grand. The album was rushed out and released at a dollar less so that people wouldn't buy the one that Morris Levy put out. But, but so many incredible musicians joined uh, John Lennon on rock and roll. Uh, Steve Cropper, Leon Russell, Jim Keltner, Hal Blaine, Bobby Keys, and Jose Feliciano, which I had no idea he was on. <laughs> and it was released on uh, February 17th, 1975. And in the U.S., it reached number six and also in the U.K., number six. Okay. So let me tell you about Scott Muni first. Uh, Scott passed away in 2004. Uh, I had a chance to work with him on a lot of things, including a syndicated Beatles radio show called Ticket to Ride. Uh, but he was a New York disc jockey. He worked during the heyday of AM Top 40 at you know, WABC in New York, a legendary station that was number one in the country. W-A-B-C. And then was a pioneer of FM album rock. And Rolling Stone magazine is the, gave the term legendary to Scott. And he, he was at the airport in New York when the Beatles arrived, eventually had a lifelong friendship with them, and particularly John Lennon. Um, and you'll hear about that in, in this interview that we're about to play. Um, but in, in fact, I have a little piece of tape here I'm gonna play. This is from 1964. Scott is at the Plaza Hotel with the Beatles. Uh, this particular instance, he's one-on-one with Ringo because somebody stole Ringo's um, St. Christopher medal. And you know, Ringo wanted to get it back. So S- Scott was able to, well, you can hear it. <laughs> Anyone who has the St. Christopher medallions, they tore off Ringo as he was coming in the hotel room. If you will come to our WABC suite with the medallion, we will see that you meet Ringo in person. And he will thank you personally if you will bring the medallion back. Right? Yeah, that's a deal. So that just really that that just really puts it back in time. Yeah, that's how they would handle that. Yeah. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's get up to uh, up to speed here. Uh, it's, uh, 1975 and, you know, John Lennon walks in off the street onto, into the radio station. Before we get into that, Scott, I just have to say, Scott Muni, even though I lived in uh, Levittown, Pennsylvania, right. I could get WABC, WA Beatles C right. at night in my room on my transistor. Yeah. And, uh, he, he really was legendary and he was not somebody that, uh, I mean, if you looked at him, you would probably say, oh, maybe this guy's a dentist <laughs> or maybe. The- no, no. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You know, he, he, he wasn't trying to be like his like a crazy character himself, like so many of those. Do- right. So many disc jockeys. And he um, but he, he was so legendary that um, and you pointed this out to me because I didn't even know it, uh, that he was involved in the Dog Day Afternoon movie. Yeah. 
we were talking about one of my favorite movies. So yeah, he became, I'm sure everybody loves that movie. So tell, do you know how that happened? I think Scott told me once that, you know, they were, they needed some advice on some, I I, I don't remember, but it, you know. Okay. So if you remember the movie, uh, right. So he's got the, he's got the hostages in the bank after he bungles the bank robbery. Right. And he calls a radio station. Right. And that's, and who he, he calls Scott Muni. So maybe they wanted it to sound realistic. Um, so let's, let's go back to February 13th, 1975, right before Valentine's day, John Lennon walks in off the street, uh, goes upstairs, uh, and Scott gets a message. Uh, John Lennon's here. Uh, he wants to play his new album. So Scott, of course, you know, okay, come on in and you'll hear all, all the background. I left all the, that stuff in. And this is part one of this interview, which is, uh, really pretty amazing when you I think NEWFM was John's favorite station, and he'd drop by for a visit from time to time, but he didn't want anybody to know he was there. But then when the rock and roll album came out, uh, he came up and he said, uh, I got this album and I want to talk about it. And so he was real excited. And uh, as a matter of fact, he was almost hyper. He came in and he was just like on a cloud in the studio. He read commercials, did weather forecasts, and... uh, of course, long afterwards, Elton John did it, but there was John Lennon as the DJ. Of course, I was caught by surprise a little bit. This was not planned by record companies or, uh, you know, managers or anything. He just showed up and came by the studio, so I said, oh, my Lord, now what am I going to do? Well, it sort of began this way. We have enlisted you today, as long as you're here, to play uh, the role of the air personality or... Uh, Le Jacques du Disque, or whatever, the disc jockey, because uh, you have a brand new album coming called Rock and Roll. And there's a lot of stories, a lot of things to be said about it. Right, it's a long story. But since you're going to play the host and uh, talk about the album as we play it, cut by cut, (gasps) and introduce it to to those that are listening. Great. Folk who uh, I know are curious and wondering, a new John Lennon album, what is it about? Well, it's a rock and roll album by the title, and uh, none of which I wrote. It's all, you might call it oldies but goldies. I was calling it oldies but moldies when I was making it. And uh, some of them are, quite a lot of them are cuts I was singing when I was 15. That's around 1955. Some of them are the first songs I ever learnt that were rock and roll, ever learnt to play on a, on a guitar. I even started on banjo originally. And uh, they're some of my all-time favorites. There's about 14 of them on the album. Wow. And uh, I could have gone on forever. I had to stop. Did you do a larger amount, a whole bunch of them, and then decide on these? Or did you just do these as you could? Or did you go to a session and just complete them all? Well, it was in, the, the album was in two phases, as it were. It started in 73, actually, when it was a brand-new idea. <laughs> right? There's been a lot of oldies but goldies since then. I started with Phil Spector, and the tracks that I did with him, he produced. I just wanted to be a singer. And uh, to put it simply, there was some psychodrama, and uh, it it sort of fell apart. And then there was a long spell where, for one reason or another, I couldn't get hold of the tapes. And then I did Walls and Bridges. And then I I got the tapes the day before I was going in to do Walls and Bridges. So I did Walls and Bridges, and then I started sorting through the tapes I'd done with Phil... I chose the ones that I thought were uh, good enough, because some of them are a bit weird, you know. And uh, 
And then I went back in the studio uh, after a few weeks' rest from Walls and Bridges and, and cut enough to make a, a full album of, of material. And uh, here it is, you know. My version of Gene Vincent's Bebopalula, one of the first songs I ever sang, and the, the first day I sang it in public with a real band is the day I met Paul. Oh, you met Paul for the first time then? Yeah, yeah. Where was that? In London? It was, no, no. Or in no, Europe? Was, we, hadn't li we hadn't left our little town of Liverpool then. Right. And it was at a church hall f garden fete, garden party, and I was performing with a mutual friend of Paul and mine's, only I hadn't met Paul before. Another mutual friend who lived next door to me brought Paul along and said, you know, I think you two will get along. And we met that day, and I was doing Bebopalula that day. And it's always been one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Was Gene in, uh, in England at the time? I think he... Uh, not at that time. Sooner or later he moved there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first time we met him, the Beatles met him, we met him at the Cavern Liverpool. And Brian Epstein used to be very clever. That was our late manager, the Beatles' yes. first... Or the first real manager. He used to bring uh, the rock stars that were really not making it anymore, like Gene Vincent and Little Richard. No, no reflection on them, but they were coming over there for that reason. And he'd put us on the bill with them, a second billing, you see. So we'd use them to draw the crowd, and then they'd see us. And we met uh, Gene Vincent backstage. I mean, backstage, it was a toilet. And uh, we were thrilled. We were later in Hamburg with Gene Vincent and Little Richard. And there's still many a story going round about the escapades, especially with Gene, <laughs> who was rather wild guy. I thought you were going to say, especially with Little Richard. Well, because Little yeah. Richard is certainly not a tame person. I've done a couple of shows with uh, Little Richard, and there's a charisma thing. Uh, you don't know what he's going to do next, you know. Well, it's, it's hard for people to imagine how thrilled the four of us were to just even see the, any great American rock and roller in the flesh, you know. And we were just almost paralyzed with adoration with, with both of them. And a side note is Little Richard's organist was Billy Preston. Ah. And he, he must have been, he looked about ten then. He must I was going to say he must have been. Ah, but he was good then. Roy yeah. Orbison came over there, too. That was After later. After the million sellers, yes. he ventured over, too, the same type of thing, I guess. That was later when we'd already began we'd to begun make it a bit in England, and we were selling records, but we were still second on the bill. And our first one of our first big tours was second on the bill to Roy Orbison. And... Uh, it was pretty hard to keep up with that man. He really put on a show, you know. Well, they all did, but uh, Orbison had that fantastic voice. You, uh, uh, in other words, in doing the rock and roll album, have selected things back from the past that you remember so well, associations with people and shows you did with various people who had done the numbers, and they're just your favorites. They're the things you want to do your way. Yeah. The, the it's a new album. Oh, it's a brand new of album. Of oldies. A new album. Some of them, the ones I did with Phil, we spent... A, more time changing them but uh, to finish it up I finished it up quickly because it had been lagging behind and it was like I was constipated with the album so with the stuff that I finished off I, I left it pretty much just variations of how the originals did it in fact I would have done it years ago but I always it was so in awe of the records that I wouldn't cover them you know and when I came to the end of this album I realised there's so many I hadn't touched you know I didn't touch Jerry Lee Carl Perkins Early Presley and so many people that, you know, I could Didn't go on for it. Well, we'll see how this one goes, <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, this one's been such a drama, and it took so long, you know. I feel as though I'll be glad that it just is out, and, uh, you know, I can get on with my next album, whatever it is. 
Our guest is uh, John Lennon, and uh, if my memory serves me well, Benny King oh, had yeah. a million seller of the next cut on side one. Yeah, Stand By Me was uh, one of my big ballads. I used to score a lot of groupies with that song. It was <laughs> rather, rather my favorite, so let's go with this one. That's the first part of our classic interview with uh, with John Lennon. You want to say anything about what you I heard? I learned two things. I learned two things. Uh, I learned that John started on the banjo before he played guitar, yeah. and I learned, uh, and I'm I'm surprised I didn't know this. I'm almost embarrassed that Billy Preston played the organ in Little Richard's band. I did not know that, and I'm a yeah. huge Billy Preston fan. I agree with. I think it was. Uh, Keith Richards had said he never put his hands on the wrong keys, you know, but or maybe it was Mick. But anyway, so, yeah, I learned two things. So thank you. Somewhere there's a picture of little Richard with the Beatles. And I don't know if it was taken uh, in England when the Beatles, Brian Epstein used to put the Beatles on opening act for all these legendary. Well, I bet that is where they, they probably or saw him. in Germany because little Richard played in Germany as well. Right. So right. Sure One day I was, um, driving around in Hollywood and I was trying to park on a side street because I had to go somewhere. And uh, I, you know how you look out to see if you're too close to the curb yeah. when you park and I look up and there's little Richard and I swear to God, and he's carrying, they had just come from um, Roscoe's chicken. And I swear to God, they were carrying, he and his two assistants dressed to, I mean, dressed like you wouldn't believe with capes and velvet and, ascots and pins and things and there he is full makeup wig carrying to go from roscoe's and i just went little richard and he goes have a nice day <laughs> all right anyway i'm sorry all right so let's go uh, back to let's, um let's the go to part two. and uh uh what's great about this is scott let john do some commercials so he does a commercial for EJ Corvettes, which was the place to get records. That I remember Corvettes. I'm, I'm sure all the East Coast people remember Corvettes, right? Yeah. And also he does a, uh, a commercial for, I think, John Scher, who had Capitol Theater in New Jersey. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool. So I have to uh, say, after this, I was glad he never tried to be a DJ. I would never have been hired. He would have gotten everybody's job. Yeah. <laughs> He's so good at it. Yeah. So this is part two of our very special uh, interview from John Lennon. Are we on? Yep, we're on. Are we on to the next track? We will be, oh, you momentarily. Want, should we do this first? Right. Yes. Hi, Corvettes, the world's largest seller of records and tapes, is offering super special prices for the holiday. Choose from the top stars like Minnie Rippet and LaBelle, Elton John, Goody, Neil Diamond and Carol King, plus Stevie Wonder, Temptations, Barry White, Love Unlimited, Jackson 5, Chicago, and many more. All LPs from Columbia... Columbia, A&M, MCA, Motown, and 20th Century Labels. Series 598 are sales priced at just 327 each. And Series 698, 387 each at Corvettes, now through Saturday. My own new album will be there, too, probably this weekend, latest Monday. Go get it. <laughs> Is it going to be there by the weekend? Yeah, I asked, I asked Capital, and they said it'll be there possibly this weekend, definitely the early Monday or Tuesday. So, uh... Go get it, folks. It'll be in the stores. Sweet, 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 
was the dance hall version, <laughs> I call that, of Sweet Little Sixteen. Uh, uh, Chuck, Chuck Berry, Berry yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the great Chuck. I guess maybe Sweet Little Sixteen is, uh, of all the Chuck Berry things, best known. Only because uh, anybody who's ever done Chuck Berry, uh, I love that. Maybe Johnny that, be Johnny Good. Johnny Be Good in yeah, that one, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. Johnny Be Good is uh, the old time. something you got to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, the first thing you learn is the guitar break on Johnny Be Good. And once you've got that, you're down for old Carol and uh, all the rest of them. I can remember uh, doing record hops when they were popular, when Chuck yeah. Berry would go around and do free record hops. Uh, at the time, he had sold a lot of records, but uh, there was no place in America where, uh, for a live showcase... Yeah. Concerts, live concerts were not, uh, no, no, no place would let quote unquote rock and rollers in. So, uh, record hops and other things they would do, and uh, little shows at various places, yeah. but they couldn't really be exposed. And I think it held a lot of great talent back during those years. Uh, Chuck now in concert is a whole different ballgame, as is the dude who's uh, involved with the next song, one of his umpteen million sellers. Yeah. Fats. Antoine. Antoine Fats, Fats Domino. Yeah, he's been uh, cutting big sellers since 1948 or something. So he was up before rock and roll even. Yeah. Fats to me was the uh, the number one barrel house barroom piano player. He's happier in a bar where people are drinking and living it up and clapping hands than anywhere else in the world. He just. Uh, I, I saw him last year in Vegas, you know, and it was good to see him, you know. I was a bit sad that it, the audience was... You know, it didn't seem the right audience, but he was still great. And this is one of your favorites, obviously. Well, this is this has a lot of special f meaning for me. I cut Ain't That a Shame. I mean, there's many of facts that I would have liked to have done. I did Ain't That a Shame because uh, my mother, who died shortly after, before I made it, this is she taught me to play banjo, and she bought me my first guitar. And this is the first song I ever learned. This one, really? Yeah, I mean, I used to sing Do Johnny Ray and whatever was going around before rock and roll existed, but this is the first song I learned and could accompany myself on. And it's a pretty simple song, and that's probably why I learned this one. And uh, it has a lot of memories for me, and uh, I thought I'd do it for that reason. John Lennon is with us, and we have his new album, uh, called Rock and Roll with some of the great classics. And uh, the next song, gosh, we haven't, there hasn't been a loser anywhere here. They're all so familiar and they're all That's so nice, great. Thank you. Uh, Bobby Freeman wrote as well as had the large hit with. Yeah. Do You Want to Dance? This is the only one we messed about. I messed about with it a bit more. I, I tried to make it reggae. Uh, we'd been doing some jam sessions on the West Coast with a few friends and. We never. This isn't that version, but we'd. I'd always try and trying to do it in a reggae feel. So, this is. Uh, oh, it makes you feel happy. I don't know whether it makes you want to dance. That's the problem. But it's definitely uh, different from the original. Well, we're perfectly delighted today to have uh, as a surprise guest this afternoon and guest host John Lennon, with his new album, which we'll continue with, uh, the Great Goldies. It's a pleasure to be here, Scott. You uh, uh, really are having a good time, and uh, we have a lot of songs left to go, as you said. John Lennon, my friend. Scott Mooney. We have turned the album over to side two. A lot of these things you've completed, some you did uh, with Phil Spector, um, but you have, I see by getting the sneak preview ahead of our listeners, that uh, 
you really there, there are so many records here that I remember the very first time getting a little forty five on and me too playing and so forth and listening to and loving and uh, we discussed Little Richard before. There's no question about Little Richard. He's a one-of-a-kind type artist. He uh, And his flamboyancy and his uh, vive la différence on stage, plus a selection of his material. Also a great influence on James Brown and Otis Redding. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, they admitted it. Admitted it. Is this your favorite of all the Little Richard things? Uh, I, could, I, you know, I could never pick a favorite. I guess you know? not. I no. mean, this was the... F- the first time I heard Little Richard, a friend bought it. He, he'd got it, Im- it imported from Holland because it, it came out in Europe first. The A-side was Long Tall Sally, and this was the B-side in England, Slipping and a Sliding. I also liked Buddy Holly's version, but I did a la Richard's version, although it's not quite the same, of course, because I ain't the great man. I'm Scott Muni, and in 1975, John Lennon stopped by... WNEWFM to premiere that new album at the time, Rock and Roll. Needless to say, when John Lennon visits your station, everyone gathers around. And that was the case on that cold February afternoon. You want to do an introduction for the second song? Yeah, the next two? one on side two is the great Buddy Holly's Peggy Sue. And uh, what a cosmic joke. Uh, Paul McCartney has bought the catalogue of the late great Buddy Holly, which is one of the best buys that one could make in this business. And uh, I wasn't sure if he had this song or not, but uh, so he'll be making more out of this than I will. And this is virtually as Buddy Holly did it. In fact, when I was doing it, I did Deja Vu, you know. It came back to me. I didn't even have to read the words, which I did on most of them. And this I was singing around when I was 16 or something. And it's virtually how Buddy did it, but not quite as good, but it'll do. Okay, here it is. It's called Rock and Roll, John Lennon, and that's exactly what it is. Now comes to an old friend, Sam Cooke, who uh, was so original and uh, was really unique in his own way and, again, was uh, one of the tragedies with uh, Buddy Holly and uh, J.P. Richardson, known as the Big Bopper, and uh, all fairly close in time, although Sam was after that. He's related to Muhammad Ali, isn't he? Sam? Sam yeah. I didn't know His that. second cousin or something to Muhammad No, Ali. I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know that. See that? Yes. There's an expression. Right. In the Hall of Fame, of course, Sam Cooke is there, and silly things that happen in our everyday lives are, that end up being tragedies. But Sam, uh, Sam's music, too, much like Buddy Holly, was not dated. Yeah, it doesn't date. Did you have a particular reason in mind to... Uh, yeah, I, this is really a, a song, one of my all-time favorite songs, and... Uh, I always was going to do it, but didn't do it. We always jammed it in between tracks or whatever. And I almost didn't release it on this album because I know that Rod had just done it and Dave Mason had done it. Yes, Dave. But I've been so keen on the song so long and I've been putting it off for so many years that I thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I love it, man. And uh, I actually liked the Carla Thomas version of Bring It On Home to me better. And that might have been because I got that version first in Liverpool. It was a long wait to get tracks. And it's a very rare record. I can hardly find it now. I, I I have it in the house somewhere, and we lost it the other day when I was getting the words from it. This one segues into Little Richard's Send Me Some Loving, uh, which was also sung rather well by Buddy Holly. Send Me Some Loving. A lot of people did it. So this is like a medley, two in one. Is that Lloyd Price uh, wrote that? L. Yeah, Price? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the one. The How great Lloyd Price, right? They're all there, aren't they? Okay. Yeah, there's too many of them. 
Bis wenn wir schon mal bin. There is not a uh, there's not a bad song yet. I mean uh, the the arrangement which you've done from John Lennon's heart into all your old favorites of things you like to do and uh, just having so much fun. Well, somebody heard it and said, "Oh, he's doing it for real." You know, I don't know whether they expected me to camp it up or something, but you know that that's the music that brought me from the provinces of England to the world and finally to America, New York and uh, I'll never forget it. I mean, that's what made me what I am, whatever it is I am and it brought a lot of English musicians out of their you know i don't know where we'd have been without rock and roll and well, i really love it you know they've been saying rock will die or it'll never last ever since i ever heard about it and it's always written in the papers as it's dying it's this it's that and uh, people are so busy writing about it they're not listening to it john lennon is here and we are reminiscing as he has done in his new album rock and roll uh, these have been done each one of the recordings variously from october of 73 to October of this past year, together at various places with various people, sometimes as many as 28 musicians, right? Yeah, in the 73 sessions with Phil Spector, we'd have 23 or 28 musicians at once, some of them out of their minds and some of them not. <laughs> and uh, there's a great many names on which I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. It'll be on the inside sleeve of the album, which we don't have with us, and it was enough just remembering who was there. <laughs> To well, get it down on paper, never mind who played what. So we just listed them all, and there's some of the all-time great names of, of rock that are still around on the musician scene, you know, from Leon to Leon Russell, who well, apparently played the piano on the Duron Ron on the early Spectre records. You know. I mean, I learned a lot just hearing from these musicians. I didn't know they'd been playing so long, you know. Also, you covered a lot of ground and territory since you started this project because uh, you did an album in between. Yeah, I had walls and bridges out in between this because this sort of collapsed, <laughs> as it were, and uh, I, I then I started on walls and bridges, and then I came out of walls and bridges and decided to finish this off while I was still on a groove. We were reminiscing. Oh, yeah, John Ringo fainting. <laughs> yes, uh, the first time you came to America in this huge flurry of activity and everything, and... Uh, uh, emerging from the triumph in Britain and all, and you're tired and uh, confused and, uh, and taken excited. back by <laughs> awe and excited yeah. and all. And the difference in each one of you now versus that time 10 years ago over that is just amazing to me because uh, I remember we were in the hotel room with you and uh, the confusion outside. And I do also remember that John Lennon was the one who did have the nerve to sneak out of the hotel. <laughs> you went in disguise. Yeah, <laughs> right. You were always the guy willing, and you went around and hit a number of clubs and uh, snuck out a little, and everybody else was afraid to... Uh, yeah, I think I went with Paul, you know. Yes, Yeah. but I remember uh, discussing in the room, what would I yeah. do, how can I go out of here and not look like John Lennon? <laughs> yeah, it was the nose that was always the giveaway. Yes. Whatever I did, it was the nose. I'd take the glasses. I mean, I didn't have the glasses. They weren't known those days anyway. But uh, I couldn't, you know, I could stuff cotton wool up it like Brando did for his cheeks, you know. But then you couldn't breathe, you see. So if I had to put a beard or whatever I did, it was this nose that got me into trouble. <laughs> that was always the case. You yeah, are an excellent host. And well, uh, we appreciate, too, your uh, commercial venture. 
Oh, Would you I, like to? Uh, yeah. You've already passed your audition and you're hired, oh, so just feel free at ease to do a commercial Should on WNEWFM. Should we do our Capital Theatre Passaic? Why not? Why, Why not? not? John will appreciate it. Okay, John Scher presents at the Capitol Theatre in Passaic, February the 14th, Linrid Skinrid and the Eric Burden Band on February 21st. Queen and special guest star Argent and Kansas on February 22nd. Billy Joel with special guest Melissa Manchester and on March 1st, Straubs. Tickets are available now at the Capitol Theatre box off. Box office, excuse me. Call 201-778-2888 and all tickets on outlets. Do that. Well, we've been listening to John Lennon on the radio, February uh, 13th, 1975, where he's playing DJ. And we have another segment uh, to go. Um, Scott and John talk about uh, a book that was out at the time. I don't know if you remember this book, Rock Dreams, by G. Pilart, uh, who passed away, uh, I think, in 2008. But it was those amazing uh, pictures, fantasy pictures of rock stars. Right. I know his work without, I know the album covers that he did without knowing the rest of his work. So that's another thing I learned. And I was Googling and yeah, this guy's, this guy's major. I'm, I'm surprised I, I did not know about uh, yeah. Guy. Diamond you know, Dog and It's Only Rock and Roll are two yeah. that he did. Yeah. But he's got uh, all these other amazing uh, pictures uh, that he did. You know, he's got one of uh, Brian Wilson uh, in a, playing in a sandbox, uh, you know, and he designed film posters, which yeah. I thought was amazing. And when the book came out, um, it was it was pretty amazing. And John Lennon loved it because, you know, he was I think it was a, a sort of a Nighthawks at the diner picture with him and a couple other people. That was the cover of the book, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. Right. The American cover or the European cover. But it's amazing artwork. And uh, it's funny. I'll tell you an interesting story. I got a call. Well, not a call. I got an email. From G. Pilart's son. This was wow. like, this is about three, four months ago. He emailed. Well, called up means email if you're yeah, over okay. 50. So let's see. He you told know, me he that. listens to the rock podcast and he thought it was a great show. That's great. And we started talking a little bit because I, I did know his father. I spoke to him a few times. Um, and I do have a piece that he sent me. Mine is the Supremes all dressed up and stuff. But, wow. Um, and and it, here's an interesting story that he told me, which I did not know. There's original artwork from these uh, pictures, this, this artwork that he did. And then there were limited editions done. Almost all the originals were bought by Jack Nicholson. He owns it. Wow. And I didn't know that till, till she's um, uh, a son told me. So. Well, I've never been in Jack's house or I would have known that, but that's what I guess I would. All right. So now I know what I would have seen if he'd invited me over. Yeah. After one of those Laker games. Well, I love the fact um, that one of the film uh, posters he uh, made inspired Frankie Goes to Hollywood to take. That's how they got their name, because it was a painting called Frank Sinatra with the headline, yeah. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And that's how they chose their name. I, you know, come on. See the stuff you learn on this show. <laughs> If you didn't already. How did I live this long without knowing that? <laughs> anyway, let's get to uh, the last uh, part of our interview. Um, and uh, once again, this is John Lennon, uh, February of 1975. The uh, Guy Pilart uh, book of oh, art yeah. of rock, uh, you know, uh, rock dreams. 
has uh, on its cover the British and European version. Uh, you are on the cover in the American version of the book, which is out now. A fifth person was added to that. David cover. Bowie. David yeah, Bowie. Yeah. He's a good uh, lad. Not, it was not in the European one. And I noticed immediately when the American copies came out, because I had the original one from Europe, uh, with you and Elvis. Yeah, I've got that. And, Me and Elvis, a dream come true. Yeah, the, uh, it's, it's really a striking cover in the hamburger joint and back to the 60s zone. And I'm thinking about yeah. that picture yeah. as such with this album. Yeah, I, I took the cover off the English version and put it on the wall because I'd like to have the one with David on, Bowie actually, but the English cover was larger. You know, the, the American cover, they made it a smaller picture. The whole yes, thing, they did. Which I think was stupid. You know? The English cover was a large, took up the whole cover. Front and back. So I just ripped it off and framed it because I couldn't get hold of the original paintings. But I got hold of one of the original paintings, which is the one he did of Beatles in Hamburg, which yes, are from the same good. photographs or period of the by the same people that took the ones on the cover of this album so it's all coming out it all comes out in the wash as they say so it's uh, the cover of this my album here is not is you can see the similarity between the covers of the uh, Pilar pictures in Hamburg yeah, he has people not quite as well known here that were better known in Britain and Cliff uh, Richards Marty right. Wilde and uh, the ones that never made it over here I was surprised that Elton John wasn't in the book apparently the first picture he did of this series of rock and roll he did of Elton John and maybe it wasn't as good as the others you know maybe because it was the first one he tried I was rather surprised well while you've been here this afternoon You've got a lot of insight to the oldies and your new album and so forth, and uh, a lot of reminiscent stories, people who were involved with the various songs and some of the fortunate and unfortunate things that happened to the various artists. Yeah. But uh, you do have some sort of news, I understand, which I'm sure our listeners are not really aware of. Yeah, well, I, I would like really to dedicate this whole album to my very special friend and wife, Yoko, who you might not have heard that I am living with and uh, as as I put it our separation was a failure you're back together again <laughs> we are those two inimitable loonies are back together again and we're very happy and uh, this is like I don't know the next song really when we get to it it really has nothing to do with anything or to do with either of us so I'll dedicate the next song when we get to it but the whole album to her uh, that's my past, and there it goes. When did they get together? Take place recently? Uh, about a week ago, hmm. something like that. And uh, it's not really been out. I think a little news came out in England. I don't. I can't remember how it got there. But uh, I'll say it again. Our separation was a failure, and uh, John and Yoko have got get got back together in their bag, as it were, together, <laughs> and, and uh, rock on. Why? I must have been 13 in this game. Was it 14? Or was it 22? I could have been 12, actually. Just because from John Lennon's rock and roll album. I'm Scott Muni, and it's been my pleasure to share some of those moments with John Lennon on that wintry afternoon from Manhattan. The weather is... It is different, isn't it? Our first major snowstorm in four years. I love it. Uh, did you make any snowballs or anything? 
Uh, no, I've, uh, I'm not, I don't love it that much, but <laughs> I, I like to see it falling, you know. And it, it was not a nice surprise to wake up and see it. I think the greatest thing about uh, snow, of course, is kids, you know. So you think back when you were youth, that now yeah. you can get out and do your snowman if you're that size, or you can skate, or you can sled, or you can ski, or anything in uh, outside sports uh, just, versus indoor. I know, like the, the pretty picture bit, you know. Look out the window, and it's like a Christmas card. Eh? John Lennon retreated in the late 70s and became what he called a house husband. And at that moment in time, John Lennon and and I got closer than we'd ever been by something that was just what you call the freak of nature. In a New York hospital, my baby girl was born, and at that very moment, walking down the hall in the hospital, wheeling a wheelchair with Yoko Ono was John Lennon. He looked into the room, he saw me there, and he said, Scott, what are you doing here? And I said, John, I made an announcement on the air about Sean's birth. My baby girl was just born today, and I've come here with a couple of bottles of wine. Let's have a party. So they came back after going to visit Sean. And, well, how much closer could you get to someone like John Lennon? Because we didn't talk about music, and we didn't talk about Beatles. We talked about life and how much it meant to him to have a son, Sean. Yes, he became a house husband, all right. Unfortunately, the story ended in December of 1980. The legend is forever, and it is his music. Well, that was really revealing because he talked about, I mean, he went on the radio and said he's going back with Yoko. I mean, yeah. that's that's really nuts. And, uh, you know, I wonder if that was first time she heard that or or what. But, of course, then he did. But, yeah, that's, um, that's amazing how uh, he felt he could share that. And I remember, I mean, he told me a couple of times that story about being in the hospital and his daughters being born. Uh, and John Lennon being there. So that, I mean, can you imagine that? You're walking down in the hospital. Uh, Yoko's about to have Sean and Scott's ha uh, wife is having their baby and they're at the hospital at the same time and they run into each other in the hall. That was a great story. Well, you know, when you read Bob Gruen's book or get to know about his life, uh, the fact that he lived around the corner from John and Yoko and the fact that John looked up at him one day at a photo opportunity and said, you know, nobody ever shows me these pictures that were are taken, you know, would you bring them over and show them to me? And uh, Gruen went over and slipped them under the door and Yoko called him and they became friends. And so many lives John and Yoko uh, changed when they moved to New York. They, you know, I mean, they really found the family there. And uh, for the most part, uh, even through the immigration battle and everything else, they had so much support and he was so loved, which made it all so shocking. Uh, you know, and I think of that uh, phrase, the end of the innocence. I'm sure Don Henley didn't invent that, but, uh, you know, I'm thinking of the phrase and um, it really was. I mean, I think it, it was like uh, Kennedy, Martin Luther King, you know, I mean, it just kept happening. And then for us, it was like 
you know, uh, John Lennon and then Al Tamont. I mean, everything really changed by, uh, through, you know, the early 70s to the to 1980. Yeah. Oh, well. well. Anyway, this is the kind of stuff that we like to present on our show that you're not going to find anywhere else. The majority of this stuff, you're not going to find it anywhere else. If you have anything to add, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we're out there. Yeah. Contact us on Facebook. Go to our website, though. That's the best place. TheRockPodcast.com. You can also email us at hello at TheRockPodcast.com. And I, you know what I think I'll do is on the website, I have some of those, um, some of the artwork from Rock Dreams. And I'll post it up there so people can. And I have some of the photos of John and Scott at the console doing the interview. And we can throw up a uh, picture of Corvettes in case anybody needs that. And maybe Dog Day Afternoon. Maybe we'll go there. (laughs) Anyway, that's it uh, for this episode. want to thank you for joining us uh, uh, on The Rock Podcast. And uh, until next time, cheerio. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.